And welcome into the Nick State of Mind podcast. I'm Matt Castillo with Chip Murphy and Danny Small. Uh, last week we started our What If series, so we you know look at it from different angles of what ifs. Again, you know we we started focusing on with the playoffs, uh, and we talked a lot about the 2013 playoffs, a little bit about the '99 finals, and a little brief little uh, discussion about the 1994 finals as well. And you know we were talking about where we're going to go to next year. There's different things that we can go with. Free agent signing. Uh, you know, what if we never made this trade or signed this guy? What if this guy was never fired? Things like that. Uh, but when we were talking about it, it seems like we were kind of handed a gem uh, this past weekend, of course, with what everybody is watching every Sunday night. I know every basketball fan is definitely watching on Sunday night, the last day for the ESPN, um, you know, where they're talking about the Bulls dynasty and the last couple episodes uh, featured the Knicks. And I've heard something about it going into the episode that it was going to be tough for Nick fans, the next two episodes. And they were not lying. The whole time I was watching it, I was considering shutting it off. There was times where I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this no more. Um, you know, because it was nice, though, in a way, be hearing Jordan even say it, like the team that would give them the fits in, in that 93 season especially was the Knicks, right? Like he kept talking about practice being intense and, and not really just 93, but the whole 90s itself. He kept talking about, you know, Phil Jackson kind of, you know, blowing ticky-tack fouls in practice, and it would piss him off because he was thinking this is not how it's going to be against the Knicks, right? So the easy thing to start this show off, obviously, is the what-if continue the playoff discussion going from 1993. Um, you know, that Eastern Conference Finals, the Knicks had a 2-0 lead. Uh, they had a 2-0 lead in it, and then, you know, the Bulls won the next four games. Um, and it, I'm sure, you know, I wasn't even born yet. So I'm sure the Knicks fans that had to sit through that and watch that, that must have been gut-wrenching to, to feel like you were that close. And, and a dynasty that the Bulls had and really was starting at that point, to have them kind of on the ropes and then to let that one get away. Um, man, I, I was – I enjoyed watching these documentaries, but I, like I said, that one certainly hurt to see that the Knicks, you know, had a chance to, to knock off the Bulls that season up 2-0. Um, and – for me, I blame the media, you know, the whole gambling aspect where they were talking about Jordan out in Atlantic <laughs> City, and he was out there at 2 o'clock in the morning. If the media would have shut the hell up and not pissed off Michael Jordan, I don't know. I think we would have had a chance. We were up 2-0. But as soon as they pissed him off, he turned into that animal, and we had no shot. We got our butts kicked the next four games. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Uh, Chip, Danny, whoever wants to join in here with this, uh, I blame the media. That's the what if. What if the media would have kept their damn mouth shut? I think I think you. Have, it's you funny because I was yeah. I was thinking that too. The, Danny, you can you can go, but the whole time that was happening, I was thinking that the Knicks Twitter narrative about how the the media always wants the Knicks to lose. I was thinking like, 
oh shit, they really did cost him a series there. <laughs> well, I think like obviously we all knew what happened anyway, so it's not like it was a spoiler. But when they showed Mike Francesa yeah. talking about how Jordan like doesn't want to win, yeah. it's like okay, everyone should have known the series is <laughs> a wrap at that point. I mean, you got you got the the sports pope, you know, saying basically declaring Michael Jordan and the Bulls dead. It's like all right, there you go. The Knicks, the Knicks lost. Um, but yeah, oh. I, I don't, they just we like. I mean, I was just I was an infant when that happened, so I have no recollection or anything of of the actual series itself. But the cruel thing for the for Knicks and and fans and stuff just seems like their peak came at the wrong time. It came like right in the, you know, right in kind of the midst of the Jordan, um, you know, the Jordan rise. Like, cause that 92, 93 team, that was probably the best Knicks team of the nineties. I think maybe. Yeah. Uh, Van Gundy said it was the best. On yeah. The radio I, I mean, today. he said it was the best one. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. You know, obviously I didn't watch the games. I wasn't there. So somebody who did would probably know better than I would, but, that 92-93 team, they won 60 games, and just so happens they ran into Michael Jordan, you know, when he was basically at his peak. And obviously they had their chance in 94, run into Hakeem the Dream and, you know, Houston, and, and mm-hmm. we all know that story. Um, but it just it's unfortunate that the Knicks, because they were so good, and Patrick Ewing deserves to, you know, have a title and, you know, be one of this, these, like, kind of Eli Manning, Derek Jeter types in New York City you know, be immortalized forever. But they had the the nineties Bulls just before that, which they you know, they were a playoff team. They had the bad boys pistons, so they had those two teams to go against. Then they when they finally do break through to the finals, they lose to the Rockets and then MJ comes back and it's like all over again. Yeah. It's just those yeah. those early nineties, those Knicks teams were so, so good. Just classic case of, you know, never being able to break through that wall. But if you ask Charles Oakley, it's all Patrick Ewing's fault. So. Yeah. What, yep, that's, what is, that's he said he's trying to be Beyonce? <laughs> he's trying to be Beyonce. So he said something Christ. like that. Like, like Jordan is Beyonce. He's like, he said, yeah. Beyonce, like. Yeah, who's trying to be Beyonce, by the way? Does anybody try to be Beyonce? <laughs> Who the fuck was he even talking about? Yeah, I don't it's it's honestly and I know we've we've said that we, we aren't gonna talk about this because like we tried to put the Charles Oakley stuff to bed, but it's so ridiculous that like he's he's lost basically all credibility with the with Knicks fans in you know right. when all that stuff that happened with Dolan a few years ago. Knicks fans would would have died for him at that point. Right, right. Now you know he's just calling out Ewing, and I don't know. He's 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 just holding a grudge because Ewing didn't come out and defend him when all that stuff happened. He's trying to be in the spotlight here. That's all it is. Is he? Well, hey, look at me. Look what I say. His name's in the headlines. He's enjoying it. Um, Yeah, because quite frankly, he's not relevant anymore. You know, he. That's the the reality of it, and I I think that's all it is. Is that he's like. a screaming kid looking for attention at this point. Um, and, and, you know, I keep hearing comments that he keeps making and attacking at Patrick Ewing. And, uh, you know, to me, they hold no weight. I don't even listen to a word he's saying. He, he's one of those guys, kind of like the Spike Lee thing. Uh, whatever they say kind of just 
brushes off my shoulder. I don't really give a crap what they have to say. Um, that's just where I'm at with that at this point. Um, but, you know, taking a look at it from uh, the last dance, the, the 93 playoffs and all that stuff, um, I kind of talked about this a little bit before. But the one thing that I was thinking about watching this, and I'm interested in see, you know, what were your thoughts? Obviously, it was difficult to watch us uh, lose to the Bulls and all that. But, you know, listening to Jordan, you know, he kept saying, like, this, this Nick team was the team that we knew we had to get through. Um, you know, even though the Bulls obviously were the favorite, they had Michael freaking Jordan at that point, they're winning titles, all that stuff. But he knew that that Nick team was a team that he was going to have to get through and it was going to be the toughest challenge yet. Um, and, you know, the things that he was saying, the high praise that he, he seemed to have for those Nick teams, basically compared them to the Pistons, except we don't have any of the Pistons rings, you know, uh, prior to it. But it seemed like he had more respect for the Knicks, right? Than well, we well, I think a lot of that yeah. was his relationship with Patrick too. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, they were right. so close too. Yeah, and also the Knicks, you know, shook hands after games that they lost. Yeah. They just storm yeah. off the court yeah. or anything like that. Um, but it was just it's a sad reality when I'm sitting back thinking like, it doesn't feel like that long ago. The Knicks were great, right? You know, they were tough as hell. They competed every single night and you're just, I mean, you know, the answer, you know, what the hell happened, but I mean, you're thinking, how do you get to the point where we're at now to where we were back then? You know what I mean? Like why can't we, we can't replicate that anymore. I just don't get it. You know, it's, I'm going to kind of spin this, pod kind of towards some uh current events but uh that's honestly that like the only reason why or not the only reason but like the, i guess the driving force of why i wouldn't be completely opposed to hiring Thibodeau is simply just because i think he'll be able to make him play good defense and i think when you have a you know a core that's basically centered around uh mitchell robinson rj barrett and i guess i'm not including him on the same level as those guys, but it seems like Frank Milikin is going to be around. If you want a defensive guy like Tibbs to, you know, bring back that 90s toughness, 90s, you know, take no shit attitude. Because, I mean, how many times did Steve, Steve, uh, Steve Mills and Scott Perry before the year this year, Marcus Morris, say like, Oh, yeah, we got oh, dogs on this. Yeah, house. we're going to be dogs. No one's going to fuck around in the guard. And none of that happened. We got clowns. If you brought yeah. Tibbs in, you would at least know that there's a little bit more of that, like, legitimate mindset rather than, you know, Fisdale saying it. And Chip, you got to say something. <laughs> I, I I was just waiting. Sorry. Uh, just waiting for a rebuttal. Go I, for it. <laughs> Go for it. Rebut. Rebut no, I, I, didn't know you, I didn't know you were sold on Tibbs. I'm not, I didn't sold, know you I'm were. not sold on him. I just – I don't think he would be a disaster. I'll say it like – if if they hired Tibbs, I, my reaction would be essentially boiled down to like one sentence would be like, okay, let's see what happens. Right. And, and I got something on Tibbs as well that I think, you know, Tibbs we know is that, that tough nose coach that demands like high intensity practices and all that really focused defensively. You hear a lot of players talking about how he kind of runs them ragged. And what I think when you have, like veteran players, Tibbs not a fit. Like nobody's going to want to do that. You know what I mean? I think with a young group of players, 
you could push them a little bit more, just a little bit more. I, I think, I think, you know, it, it, I'm not saying I'm hiring Tibbs. That's not what I'm saying right now. But I do think with a younger group of guys, I think his I, philosophy yeah, could work I, a little I bit. Personally, I don't know. I personally think he would mesh well with R.J. Barrett. Like, I know he didn't mesh with Carl Anthony Towns, and he, he did mesh with Jimmy Butler. I think if you're, there's a spectrum and you have Jimmy Butler on one end and Carl Anthony Towns on the other, I think R.J. Barrett's much closer to Jimmy Butler. Towns is charm and soft. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. So. I think I think RJ Barrett's a tough kid. I, I don't. Yeah. Think, yeah. I don't think Thibodeau's gonna you know demand a lot from him, and he's gonna you know go play Fortnite. But the uh, the Tibbs thing, I, I disagree with you actually, Matt. I think okay. Tibbs is. I think Tibbs is more suited for a playoff team. Like I think he's more suited for the Nets or Rockets. Right. Like the whole like uh, we we saw they're interested in him too. I think, mm-hmm. I think the Rockets thing would be really interesting. I think this is definitely D'Antoni's last year. He's lame duck. Yeah. That I think, uh, I think they've, they, those, those two like D'Antoni and the Rockets, I think it's just too many years. He, yeah. He's, he's not going to get them any further. He's got to move on. They've got to move on. I'd love, I'd love to see Maury and Tibbs together, but I think Maury's gone too, but uh, I'm not sure if this, owner is going to be willing to pay the Tibbs price. Tibbs is going to cost a lot of money. It yeah, doesn't seem like this owner is going to want to spend for, money. Fertitta's got but, some money issues, I guess. Yeah. He had money. He had spending. He didn't want to pay Trevor Ariza the mid, the full mid-level exception a couple of years ago. So he has, yeah. he's had money issues for a while. A good but, point. yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to see Tibbs on a playoff team. I think he'd be better suited there in Houston or – in Brooklyn, and I think Brooklyn, like you say, I, for tips. yeah, you know, more Brooklyn. so than, than Houston. I think it would be, but I think Ty Lue is the guy there because of his relationship with Kyrie. I think he needs a guy that. But I also think they look they they wanted to pick their own guy. I think ultimately Kenny would have worked out for them, but I'm not sure he would have won a championship with them. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's a whole nother story. They wanted to pick their own coach. Those guys, they wanted right. to pick their guy. That's what stars do. But. The uh, the Tibbs thing, I I just don't think he's a good coach for young players necessarily. I I don't want to see him play R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson at forty minutes every single night. I just don't want to see that. And I I know we talk about how Kevin Knox doesn't get enough minutes and Frank Nealakina doesn't get enough minutes, but I also don't want to see them. I also don't want to see my guys leading the league in minutes every single night. I don't want to see my guys get hurt because of the coaches running them into the ground. I don't, well, that, I don't that's want to see where, that. That's where I think a younger player would be better suited for that because they're younger and fresh. you get got a veteran that has to play 40-something. They're going to burn out. Yeah, but then down the road, that hurts them in their career. Look oh, what I agree. I, Dang. Look what I Derek, agree with you. Look what happened yeah. to Derek Rose, Joaquin, Joaquin Noah. They all played for Tibbs. I agree with you. I agree. The, the thing I'm about that saying, is, uh, like, there's, those are all valid concerns that, you know, he, he'll put too much mileage on young guys because, you know, we know Mitch has had injury issues. We know Frank has had injury issues. Like, there, there's definitely things to not love about Tibbs. Like, the, the playing time stuff, you know, maybe his offense, you know, isn't as, you know, 2020 as it should be, um, if that makes any sense. But – there are reasons why, like I wouldn't, I would be hesitant about fit about blah 
Fizz, about Tibbs, there's reasons why I'd be hesitant about him. But I could see him, like, moving past all that stuff at a certain point in his career. Like, I could see him realizing, all right, Frank Milikina's had this groin issue. You know, maybe he's a 25 minutes off the bench a night guy. We throw in some rest there. Like, I feel like over time he, he, he'll – like I don't know, I, I I just I think I think he'll adapt. I think he's a smart enough, a good enough coach where he can adapt. Um, you know, because he saw it, it kind of crashed and burned in Minnesota. You think he's changing? I don't think he's changing. I mean, I, like I don't think he's gonna become a completely different coach like overnight. But the thing, like you've seen, we've seen in sports all the time, like these coaches kind of tweak their style or you know. Like kind of soften up, yeah. Like Tom Coughlin, you know. I know I'm jumping to football, but Tom Coughlin eased up on some things when he became the Giants head coach. They won a Super Bowl. It's like I could see Thibodeau kind of like realizing, all right, load management is just the wave of the future. There's like there's no stopping it. There's this okay. is just the, the modern NBA. I, I could I could see him adapting. I can see why you wouldn't think he would. I can definitely see that. Um, but maybe if he maybe I think that's just a huge risk that that isn't that you you shouldn't be willing to take because I don't think you can try a guy who's had that much success as he did in Chicago playing that style uh, why would he why would he change in his mind he probably thinks I can have I can continue to have that success you know it's the Phil Jackson mindset with the triangle Mm -hmm. But you it's, know, why should I change my offense when I had that much success running it my whole he, life, my whole career, whatever? He did have success in Chicago, for sure. I mean, they were a good team. They, they just ran into LeBron, you know, prime LeBron yeah. for years there. But he didn't have success in Minnesota. I mean, I know they went to the playoffs and got bounced, you know, after winning, what, one – like, they were in five games or whatever, gentlemen sweep. They – you know, and then that whole thing crashed and burned because he saw, you know – I mean – who knows exactly how much was his fault? Jimmy Butler's, you know, Towns, Wiggins, who knows where the blame goes on that. But he saw kind of how his approach crashed and burned in Minnesota. Maybe he's It would thinking, have been interesting to see how that would have gone if he wasn't putting together the roster, if that's true. If that's I, I think, I think yeah. that's fair too. But I, I, I think, you know, he was the man in charge. He's got to at least – I hope he, like, comes out of that and reflects and says, all right, how do I need to improve after, you know, after that went so poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you hope so. But and I'm yeah, just, I don't, I don't like I'm, I'm almost like playing devil's advocate here. Like I don't, I, I, I understand there are like valid criticisms against them and whatnot. And what did we say the, the first time his name was brought up? What did we say? The, the best argument for him is he's not Mark Jackson. <laughs> so yeah. That's a good that's point. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually, I completely forgot. That's yeah. like his number one, uh, his yeah. number one selling point. Yep. Yeah, I, I, and I'm curious too. Who who is the guy? If we're on the coaching search here, I guess this kind of turns into the "what if we hired Tom Thibodeau" thing as well. Um, yeah, I forget how we got to how I jumped here. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, we. Sorry, I didn't work. Work. <laughs> you know what? It works. I sometimes we do fly off the rails here. I oh, think yeah, anybody who's talking, yeah. we're, talking, we're talking about how the Knicks were tough in the '90s. <laughs> That's, yes. Oh, yeah. That that makes sense then. Yeah, no, that's Tibbs a good segue. A, that's yeah. an interesting segue, even though I couldn't Tibbs remember. Fitz, Tibbs was a Knicks assistant for Van Gundy. Mm-hmm. So Tibbs, I, I think 90s, 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 that there we go. He started. Yeah, yeah. 
But don't you guys think like more so it's not always just coaching. Obviously it's like these players have to start getting this mindset, you know, it's somebody has just got to stop saying enough's enough already and start backing up what the hell they're saying. Because again, you brought up the point, Danny, this whole leading it to this past season, we're going to have dogs here. Nobody's going to clown us and everybody clowned us. I mean, you, I, I, th- I think back from uh, that Memphis game, right? Well, yeah. we did have that situation where Peyton throws whoever shot that, that three point or whatever. And I got into arguments with Nick Fitz about it as, oh, man, we were just – we're doing old-school Knicks and defending our home court. No, the hell we weren't. We were down by 25 to the Memphis freaking Grizzlies at home. They, and, I mean, they, Memphis was playing well. I, I understand that. But still, you should be down 25 freaking points at home. They laid an absolute egg for the first 47 minutes of the game. Exactly. And, then, and I'll give Alfred Payton this. The – uh, is Jay Crowder – it, it might have been Crowder. Was yeah. it Jake Crowder who – They so. got like a steal, and he dribbled it to the three-point line like to take a three. Like he should not have done that. But like that's when you that's when you want to get tough with them, not when they were exactly. pounding you for 47 minutes. It's like, hey, all right. If it's a close game and it's at the end of the game where they kind of pull away late, sure. But when you're down 25 points, you didn't show the hell up anyway. Don't yeah. get mad at it at the end. And then I mean, that was, he got, that was he a got, stretch. He got Marcus Morris in trouble because that was the game he said. Right, yeah, yeah, right after. female-like tendencies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that was a stretch where they were playing ter- – that, that, the Charlotte mm-hmm. game was the one that I went to. I went to, the, mm-hmm. uh, I went to Charlotte to watch them. And they looked like they didn't want to be there that night. So, back-to-back games with it. And, and, and the point from this is you, know, you look at that 90s team and everybody wants to compare that whole situation to the 90s team. It's not even close. <laughs> I mean – the 90s teams weren't getting dispatched by 25 at home. It, it just wasn't happening. I mean, it's just at some point, and that's the thing that really kind of stuck out to me from it again, is watching that thinking, I mean, we were once a well-respected team that didn't take crap, that played hard every single night, and you watch the product we have now, that's what makes it more depressing than just having to watch relive. Because like you said, Danny, we know the result. We know we were up 2-0, we lose, you know, we, we lose the 94. We already know that stuff. But it's like, how do we go from being championship caliber team to the shit show that we are now? And it's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's not just a small little rebuild that every team kind of goes through at some times. It's been a long freaking time. And it's just always that reminder of going like, like I, I want to I be successful in the worst freaking way like i just want to sit back and enjoy watching the knicks like it, it 2013 as we brought up last last week was the last season i can remember enjoying watching the knicks everything else uh, by like christmas i'm done you know it's typically the case it's it's sad it sucks uh, so uh, hey, i don't I, enjoy watching the yeah. team i enjoy right. watching players on the team. yeah i just like mitchell robinson i could watch all day Alan Hahn has said that on like post game shows before. <laughs> he's he said like this. He's like yeah. this is the worst part of the season because you don't you're not watching the team. You're just watching like oh Kevin Knox. That's a good play by him. Like it's it's you're not watching <laughs> yeah. a, a basketball right. team. You're you're like keeping track of like okay is Frank Milikina developing? Is Mitchell Robinson developing? I'm I'm constantly yeah. Sometimes I find myself like zoning in on what Knox is doing off the ball on defense, mm. just to be like, is he going to get beat on a cut 
off the ball just to like see what's happening. I'm like, I'm not even paying attention to like if the other team scores or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, like, Jesus, what the like fuck is Russell wrong? Russell Wilson. I, I don't care West if they win because so, they're so bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and another thing, bringing it back to the nineties here, you know, Danny, you said it, you talked about, you know, Patrick Ewing, one of the best to not win a ring or anything like that. And, you know, had some opportunities, but I mean, what blows my mind is like how talented of a player he was. And as you said, did not win a ring, but he didn't even win like a college national championship at Georgetown with that stuff. It was it, like, when I think of great players that never won at any level, his is the name that always pops up first for me. Like, how did he not win a championship at some freaking level? As talented he was in college, had a great freaking team. The Knicks eventually built a great team around him. I know the obvious answer, well, because, you know, number 23 in Bulls uniform was taking rings away from everybody. It's just, you know, and Charles Barkley, who was uh, on SportsCenter right after. I don't know if you guys watched that interview. First off, I loved uh, listening to Barkley's take on it, even in the documentary and the interview after with his honesty. But I think he kind of said it is that, you know, all these great players were just born at the wrong freaking time because Michael Jordan was going to take away your rings. It's just the unfortunate way that it went for the 90s. But, I mean – I, I just – I think the Knicks had a legitimate chance in that series. They really – you know, they were up 2-0, like I said. It's – again, the what if the media would have kept their damn mouth shut because you can't give that man any motivation there. And, you know, is it all the media's fault? Well, the Bulls probably have come back. I mean, obviously it's possible when you have Michael Jordan. But, I mean, you know, like, you know, and as you guys said, Stan and Van Gundy uh, – or Jeff Van Gundy, I just said Stan Van Gundy, wow. Um you know, said today that that, that 93 team, 92, 93 team was, was the best Nick team uh, that they had assembled. And it's just that talent of a team to keep falling short was what was so painful to watch for me. You know, just knowing the amount of talent, but just one guy was the reason why really we couldn't get the ring. And then, you know, the 94 with him being out of the picture said this last week, I'm going to say it again. It was OJ's fault. All right. Enough said. Matt, I'm just going to have to add in a, a fact check here. Ewing won a national championship in college. In he did yeah, win a did. championship in college? In, yeah. in 84. Yeah, they beat nice. – beat, They beat, beat Olajuwon. Olajuwon. Yeah, Olajuwon and, okay. and Houston. I, okay. I, had to, I had just had to do a Wikipedia check because obviously Jordan I remembered did. 85 they lost to Villanova. No, I, no, and that was right. – that was that was season. the greatest upset. Yeah, that was again. that was Villanova as like you know whatever they were the nine seed or eight whatever I forget what it was but yeah and they Villanova had that crazy game and that was that that was when Patrick was a yeah they missed like three shots so that, in the second half yeah they it was like an unreal unreal second half but uh but yeah that's I I thought he won. And he was going for two in a row, but yeah, they they lost to uh, Villanova. Well, he did win one at least. Okay, I could I could be a little bit more and, peaceful knowing that he won something. And he was the MVP wow. of the game. So okay, you know. he won Big East Defensive Player Player of the Year four times. All yeah. four years he was at school, he was Big East Defensive Player. He was of the year. he was shit, like dude in college. He was almost a better college player than he was in the pros. Like he was like crazy. People forget, by the way, not to shift gears to Mello, but people sleep on how good Mello was in college, just saying. Oh, yeah. Well, he was, you know. <laughs> he was there for the one. Yeah, yeah. 
he was he and Ewing are like opposites though. Pat stayed four years, Mello one and done. Mm-hmm. That he let he carried a team on his back to a national championship, and TJ fucking Ford won College Player of the Year. Most ridiculous TJ thing. TJ Ford, ever. I forgot he won that that year. Yeah, yeah, Damn. yeah. That's crazy. Ridiculous. <laughs> TJ Ford. All, I... Not that it matters. To Mello got the championship or whatever. Yeah, but the still most ridiculous. Out, most outstanding player, whatever yeah. you know, whatever it was. But uh, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Do does anybody? Do we have anything else on uh, on the last dance kind of stuff here? I feel like we're kind of. I mean, what would you guys think of the? What you guys think of the Kobe stuff? I thought that was thought pretty that cool. was, when yeah. he says when yeah. he walks into the locker room and he's like, "What about that Laker boy or whatever?" Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. like, "You know that guy's gonna try and take you one on one." I thought that was really interesting. I thought what was funny about it was, you know, I, I don't I don't remember if it was Jordan saying or if it was Kobe that was saying it, but basically you know, talking to Kobe while they're playing the game. And, you know, I think it was Kobe telling the story about how Jordan did something. And uh, he asked him, you know, how do you do that? Or sort of speak, and Jordan told him something and then, you know, said, if you ever need anything, you know, give me a call. And I started laughing right there because, you know, thinking to what Jordan said uh, at, at this, you know, the cer- uh, ceremony for Kobe's uh, funeral they did at the Staples Center, he said, Kobe used to call me at like three or four or five o'clock yeah. in the morning with a random question. And I'm like, once he said, he said, you know, give me a call if you need anything. I was thinking, boy, he probably regretted that because mm-hmm. you know, Kobe would call at three o'clock in the morning and just ask him, you know, try to pick his brain and all that. Pick but his thought, brain. Yeah. About a turnaround jumper. Like, Yeah. It's just, but I thought it was a real unique uh, perspective there, you know, talking about how people say, Oh, I think you could have beat Jordan, blah, blah, blah. And him, you know, saying like, look, I, Every everything about my game basically came from Jordan. Like I copied his game, and you could go back and watch the YouTube videos and see the similarities between yeah. their two games. It, it, it's really remarkable. But to have that perspective of going, you know, he did it before me, and he's the reason why, you know, I was that player or even to do those things because I got it from him. Uh, I thought was a, a really unique perspective, um, and, and really cool how they put it right there in the beginning of it. Um, you know, to hear his thoughts on it. I was waiting for the Kobe part of it, and uh, I, yeah. I did enjoy that. Yeah, I just – the one thing I was – I always think about with Kobe is it sucks so bad that we never got a Kobe-Jordan finals, you know, like right. – because he retired in 98 or whatever. Like that 99 team, 2000 team, when those Laker teams were, you know, really starting to get good, it sucks we never got Jordan-Kobe. And then on the flip side, it sucks we never got Kobe LeBron when, you know, those those late 2000s Lakers teams were winning titles. They never matched up with the Cavs and LeBron. That I always think about Kobe's career. I just wish we got to see them go go yeah. up against each other. You know, those those kind of I, – I don't know if Kobe – Kobe's not in that, you know, greatest of all time debate like those other two guys are, but – you know, he's up there in terms of great all-time players. Would have been nice because I guess they showed it in the beginning of the last dance, you know, like Jordan kind of taking the uh, the torch from Magic by winning the title. Yeah. And then in a, in a way, he kind of did the same thing to Larry Bird in that series against Boston when he just, you know, went off and kind of said, like, I'm the best player now. So yeah. I, I was, you know, it's always fun to see, like, the greatest of all times – 
those types of guys go up against each other. Um, and the Kobe stuff, I always feel like we're, we got robbed in, you know, some sense.